All right, so welcome everybody. We got the Tonic Seven here, uh, and we're we're gonna start this weekly thing. It's eventually gonna be a live stream, perhaps starting next week, where those of us that are available to get together to talk about subjects of interest using our little crew of uh, truth seekers, where we all have different areas of expertise and knowledge and life experience that we can all kind of combine to discuss the issues of the day. Uh, in a way that I don't think you're going to find a lot of other places. So without further ado, today we're going to talk about climate change, because that's one of those things that this uh, perennial justification for government overreach, because the world's going to burn up and do a, a flaming fireball, and everyone's going to die if we don't give the government all the power uh, that they need in order to prevent that catastrophe. And uh, literally no cost is not worth paying in order to avoid that uh that fate because it's you know the whole world's going to be destroyed so even if six billion people have to die uh, it's all worth it so um looking to discuss that um so i'll i'll leave the floor open anyone want to come out like i kind of gave my telegraph my own views on it um so if anybody else wants to follow and, and come in and share share thoughts is there anyone here who believes that carbon dioxide is the sole factor affecting the change in the Earth's climate over time? No. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think we're gonna we're not gonna have a very diverse range of uh, <laughs> of views of views here. Well, but there there are things to talk about, like, um, you know, do we think it's the sole thing? Uh, do we think it's an important factor, right? Like, is uh, carbon dioxide produced by human beings through the burning of fossil fuels something that we should be concerned about, for example, uh, to the extent that we should, you know, uh, prioritize nuclear power, you know, because it doesn't produce carbon emissions? Well, I, I think we should prioritize nuclear power for entirely different reasons, it's one of the best ways we have of generating electricity. And there is such a vast amount of uranium and thorium in the Earth's crust and oceans that we could power our civilization for some time to come uh, using that technology if we really developed it. Um, so on I that, find John... it. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Hmm? I, 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 I just I'll, find I'll it... have a follow-up question. But I, I find it really interesting that... Uh, the one, like even if even if you assume that the Earth is getting a fever because we're burning too many dead dinosaurs, the one technology that would be able to maintain an advanced industrial civilization that we actually have access to now—it's not like you know fusion or something which has been vaporware for fifty years—we're uh, not allowed to use. We are only allowed to use these so-called renewables. Um, that rely on rare earth minerals that, you know, typically uh, these technologies don't last very long. They have a really hard time paying back the energy they take to uh, create them in the first place. They have all sorts of problems with intermittency where they don't generate electricity at the right time. Uh, and they have just savagely horrible effects on the environment um, when you mine and manufacture uh you, you mine the materials used and then manufacture these things why is it that that's all we're allowed to rely on is solar and wind 
why aren't we allowed to use nuclear? I find that interesting. And um, you know, this is something I've written bef uh, before in the war on life thing, where it seems like they're just kind of uh, trying to tear down our civilization, ultimately. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Could, could I say very quickly, because I, I, I want to hear everybody else's thoughts first, but I, I, I remember I wrote something a while back where I was kind of confessing um, how I got the wars, the wars plural on terror wrong. Um, and I have to say that climate change, anthropogenic progenic, uh, uh, climate change is something that I smelled right from the beginning it was a total racket. I never for one moment believed in any of it because I thought it had all of the qualities of a scam, but also something else. Like the best scams, the best scams are run on people that are caught up in a cult. And I smell cult all over it. And like, I, that's all I want to say for now, but I, but I do yeah. want to, explore the idea of like how how certain kinds of scams can only operate with true believers yeah um and maybe like, i can yeah go ahead. sorry go yes, ahead please. no please please yeah no I, I was just gonna um say something about the cult um issue because i think i mean the, the whole um we can already see you know with every with what uh john said or mark said and grant said that, that this um topic is so multifaceted right so that it's just um there's so many directions you can get into, like the energy question, renewables, uh, all of that. But I think like the um, the this religious aspect, I think is is pretty fundamental uh, to all of these questions. And um, I wrote a, a, a substack about it a while ago, where I can try to um, uh, formulate my my thoughts on that. Because the the weird thing is, um, I mean, the the fundamental trope. You know that basically we are doomed, right? There's like a, a catastrophe coming that will end the planet because we are bad. You know, we did something bad. I mean, this is an age-old idea, right? This has been around forever. This is, uh, uh, you know, like with all the millennialist movements, apocalyptic yeah. uh, things in really all kinds of. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like everywhere. You know, like humans do bad stuff. You know, like they get whacked. You know, by weather storms you know like catastrophe uh volcanoes you know like uh, plagues the whole Bloods. thing right so yeah exactly so that's that's everywhere in in religious thinking not just in christianity revelation stuff it's like it's everywhere and yeah just think, uh just make sure, sure to sacrifice as many uh children on top of the pyramid and the sun will rise tomorrow yeah i it's, mean yeah the the, the responses correct. are like different right how people like thought they could like deal with that stuff you know but i was just making the point you know it's nothing new right that this this idea is very old and it's, it's been around forever but i found it interesting that you know with the with the climate change stuff it actually it's a weird weird materialist edition of that thing right so it's not right. that you know we, we we sinned you know therefore we get whacked by god you know or something like that it is like we sinned but by sinning we literally you know like um by way of like this material thing co2 or greenhouse gases we literally like this bring the apocalypse upon ourselves in a in a materialist kind of way right and and i find just 
that's pretty stunning actually because uh, there's this idea that first of all we can do that you know we do have the power to usher in the apocalypse just ourselves you know there's no like um god or whatever involved and also we can like save ourselves you know like um avoid the apocalypse so this, there's these two things um integrated into into this idea and so so it's it's almost like a, a materialist edition of a of a you know of an ap apocalyptic cult um and i just wanted to make the point you know before we go into the other aspects that there's something very deep it seems to me uh be behind all that and that might also be a reason why it works so well right because there is there's something to it um to this idea although it's like twisted in a sort of materialist way um that it yeah is like has been around forever right well let me put on my my own apocalyptic ap apocalypticist hat and say that by by engaging in the kind of climate change policies that is the sin that will bring about <laughs> that will bring about the apocalypse like you think about the guys that let's say there's so many ways this could go go about right they could try to blot out the sun in order to stop global warming and institute a, a massive like ice age or they could uh like john was saying by refusing to use nuclear energy and, and going with these renewables completely devastate civilization as we know it and bring us back to the stone age um they could ignore other threats like uh like asteroids or comet bombardments, and then we get caught unawares one day, and again, civilization gets destroyed. So maybe there's something to that, you know? <laughs> well, well, just remind me of Harrison. It's inescapable. That, so Grant had a, a, a piece, um, I think a couple of weeks ago, where he was talking about uh, reality debt. Um, and uh, that kind of reminds me of that, where, because one thing that you'll hear if in debate with climate uh, change enjoyers is that, um, well, you know, they'll say, okay, even if it's not true, uh, even, if, you know, what is the possible downside of moving towards renewable energy, of instituting all of these wonderful changes, the 15 minute cities, you know, um, just all of it. Uh, you know, even if it's all based on the lie, but we make the world a better place, how is that a bad thing? And I've always thought that, well, you know, you can't make the world a better place based on a lie. If your actions are being determined by something which is not true, you'll drive off a cliff one way or the other. It's inevitable. Exactly how that happens is, um, you know, going to be quite contingent. But there are so many kinds of disasters. And like, as you said, Harrison, you know, it could be that you uh, are blind to actual threats, you know, an oncoming ice age, for example. Um, it could be that uh, you, the, the, the technological steps you take end up being enormously counterproductive. Um, yeah, I would say yeah. that you could, but you would have to get incredibly lucky. Like if you're, if you're, not pursuing truth and you're making decisions based on a misunderstanding of the truth, something unforeseen would have to happen to make that work out in the end, which would just take a tremendous amount of luck. Um, I, I wanted to know, you mentioned thorium. What, like, I know you're not a nuclear physicist, but, you know, you got some chops. I've seen some stuff about how 
that could be developed into a viable, even safer technology. And that the whole reason they used uranium in the first place is that it was easier to enrich and to uh, produce nuclear weapons. Um, any of you guys have any thoughts on that, a background on that? Um, I haven't read about it for years and years and years, but it's something I've always kind of been curious about. Yeah, that's that's about my state of knowledge when it comes to thorium. Is that the the technology was promising, uh, it wasn't it was not invested in because you couldn't use thorium reactors as bomb material factories. Um, I understand there are some technical hurdles, uh, but uh, I, I shouldn't imagine they're intractable if you throw the resources at them necessary to develop it. Yeah, easier than fusion. Presumably, yes. Yeah. Um, well, just a quick note on nuclear. It's actually, if, if you look at it just from a kind of political, almost cynical, but just um, almost PR angle, <clears throat> nuclear is the way of kind of bridging the gap between the two camps, right? Because you can you can make a standard climate change argument for it, but you can also be like john you know be totally for nuclear without believing in any of the, the the climate change you know talking points so that really that leads me to conclude that the same thing that john does it's like well why are they so why is everyone so against nuclear then like why are the the climate change guys so against it it's because there's a there's another agenda there's another there are other motivations behind it besides or maybe even instead of the the explicit ones that we hear about like staving off the the catastrophe that will destroy mankind it's there's something I, else going on i think it's thanatos i think it's thanatos it's it's death instinct mm -hmm. um so you know if you step back and you look at this society that we live in now most people are feeling deeply alienated and unfulfilled in their personal lives right you know people have incredible trouble meeting romantic partners and starting families affording houses even if they get a house it's this anonymous place in the suburbs with no sense of community i mean like we sort of all know the myriad problems with this uh sort of very bland uninspiring world that we've created and i think at a deep level that makes people sort of want it to end which provides some of the emotional force behind uh the enthusiasm for um, anthropogenic climate change as uh, a human-caused apocalypse, kind of tapping into this intuition that everyone does have that we are doing something really quite horrible to the world. Um, but then there's also this kind of urge to tear it all down without people really knowing what that is, uh, without necessarily recognizing it themselves. And, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who um, are firmly convinced about all of this. And one thing that I, I found quite interesting is that if you dig a little bit underneath, you, you often find this hopeless nihilism, uh, this sense they have that like, you know, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, we'll all be dead in a hundred years, the world would be better off if humans just went extinct. Um, like they want the end to come, which is why, I think if solutions are prevented are, are presented that would actually work, they're kind of disinterested in that. They're like, no, 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 no. We don't want civilization to continue. We don't want it to get stronger and um, more sophisticated. 
we want it to go away. But there are also people that uh, that believe that like explicitly, and those are actually their 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 conscious goals. That's that's what's that's what lies behind like the last 70, 80 years that that go behind the 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 this whole um, WEF like UN um, and nowadays the Sustainable Development Goals. Like their definition of sustainability is that civilization is unsustainable. So they'll frame things in certain ways, but they actually believe that that we need to de-civilize. That it's not just that we need to to um, well, what how would we put it? But slow well, that down. is the goal. So yeah, it's slow yeah, down. Slow down. And so it's not yeah. even a matter of of bringing like the the developing world up to our level. It's like no, we need to go down, and then we need to keep the like keep the developing world pretty much where it is, and then everyone needs to to go down. And that's uh, that's the wonderful thing about the carbon thing, right? Um, it never ends. It's like any war on an abstraction. There's no point at which you can sort of you know sit back and say, okay, that's it. We won. We won the war on climate change. Uh, you know, like the moment that you relax, the carbon levels start going up again. The earth starts getting a fever again. So it sort of provides this pretext for just continuous social control and just really like micromanaged social control as well. Because, you know, everything like, you know, just you breathing, your very existence on the earth is contributing to this, you know. Um, and well, I go. You know, you draw a connection there probably to the whole, uh, you know, McGill crisis whole thing with like the left hemisphere versus the right hemisphere and the hyper dominant left hemisphere nature of our current society. Cause the left hemisphere likes controlling things a lot and it likes things to stay the same. It, uh, it likes stasis, likes to freeze the world. Right. Uh, do you mind if I cut in here? Oh, okay. Sustainability. I want to get back to why sustainability is dumb, but go ahead, Mark. No, no, please. I, I can finish your thought. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, so this whole idea about sustainability has always bugged me because nothing is sustainable in this world. Like you cannot ever keep things the same. Like the climate has always been changing and it will always change. The sun will ultimately go out for a very, you know, sort of extreme example um, you know, you have the ultimate uh, heat death of the universe, like ultimately everything is unsustainable. And then, you know, at a more practical level. So they say, oh, like solar power is sustainable energy. Well, how how exactly is that true? It's it, you need rare earth minerals to make photovoltaic cells. There's an incredibly limited amount of that in the earth's crust. The panels themselves have a lifetime of 10 to 20 years or something before they're absolutely useless. You can't recycle the material in them. At least we haven't figured out how to do that yet. Um, nothing about that is quote unquote sustainable. And moreover, like nothing has ever been sustainable. That's not, the world doesn't work that way. Okay. So like uh, there's two concepts here and they're, they're, they're fundamental to why, you know, I never believed this for one second. And that's because I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I was tuned into things like myths and legends, prophecies and seers. You know what I mean? I, much more so than science and history, but also science and history. But like as the millennium approached, I took a look around 
and I said to myself, where's the cult going to come from? What will it look like? Not if, not if. You know, it's sort of like there's a lot of controversy about the first millennium, for example, like the way uh, about, you know, there's there are different sides to it. I know that. Um, uh, what, is, what is his name? Um, uh, the French, uh, the French historian uh, wrote the history of France, Jules Michelet, I believe. And he had a particular opinion, kind of a romanticized opinion about what was happening in the first millennium. Um, and since then, that's been you know, retconned, switched around, um, fashions come and go with history. Uh, but when I look back on it, I think of Otto III. And I think of just Otto III, the insanity that was swirling around that era of history. You know, you're talking about a guy who died at 21 and like, you know, he, he ruled two countries, he executed popes. You know, there was a lot going on. And I think that when we address this cult, the cult, to me, its name is the cult of fingers and flames. And what I mean by that is this, is that we learn to count on our fingers and toes, right? So fives and tens and their multiples have a kind of inherent meaning for us as a species, right? If we were spiders, it would be multiples of four. But th that's why anniversaries are fives and tens. And so then we have these supra anniversaries that spring up like centennials and millennials, right? And if you think about it, even given, forget what happened in, in the year 1000, we'll never know and thereabouts. We'll never know the full extent of it, although we do know some things. Um, certainly, I'm sure there was a lot of feverish activity going because people recognized the approach of some big number in the, in the Judeo-Christian West. They, and the Christian West, they, no, they noticed that that was happening. And so therefore, when you think about us as a generation, or as a set of generations that are alive, that lived through the millennium, the second millennium. And then you consider the generations that lived through the first millennium. It's a very small group of people. Too small really to like, to, to statistically analyze. We, we, we've, we've, we, when we were approaching the second one and to, I think it was to, to both Luke and Harrison's point, we're approach, we approach this second one for the first time as a godless, species, let's say, or maybe it's better to say a species that have promoted science as its new God. And so the form that this insanity took, it's like, we all know about the grips. Like we all, as John said, I think part of it is the death drive. Yes, certainly part of it. And part of it is the grift, because again, it's, I think a lot of the easy answers, the logical Occam's answers to a lot of these questions of why didn't we pursue this? Why this and not this? I think like a lot of that illogical circuitry can be attributed to the fact that people were wrapped up in a spot. In other words, if even the elites, forget the masses for a second, even the elites, I think, were wrapped up in this mania and this spell of this impending date and like the idea of transformation versus destruction. And so they, I think, saw both, you know, to John's point, like, yeah, a lot of them are just almost craving destruction. They want the end to come now. And then there's other people that I think were looking, you know, if you remember Obama's campaign, for example, uh, hope and change, it's talking about transformation, not destruction, transformation. And so it's, and, and, and I really even would say things like, we are the ones we've been waiting for, these very millenarian, 
Achilleastic like slogans and images were cut were pouring out of this movement. I think that's like why you see, you know, the Venn overlap between the woke and the climate cult is is a circle. Because again, they're they're hoping for transformation. They don't. They think fire is destruction, and it is a form of destruction, right? And they're hoping. For, so when they talk about renewables and sustainability, yeah, some of them are talking about stasis. We think other ones are just at an inherent level. Again, it's deep as like counting on our fingers. They're thinking like, okay, if I chop down some trees in the woods and use it to build a house, that's transformation. If I burn those logs, that's energy that's spent for that's spent forever. Something that we can never get back. And I think that if we look at it on that level, we get, begin to see the outlines of this cult, without which none of the scams would be viable. That's, uh, does anyone want to say anything? Yeah. Hello? So I, I think that that's, there is something spiritual about it. And, you know, it, I mean, I don't, I don't exactly have the language for it, but I, I think that that's apt, you know, this, this feeling that, and I forgot who, who said it earlier, but um, like the way that I interpret it is uh, just the sense that things are too good. And, you know, they, they got to come to an end, you know, cheap energy, just, it's too uh, wonderful, you know, it just makes too, it just gives us a standard of living that is beyond um, almost what feels like it should be appropriate or natural. And uh, I think people think that it just can't last. And so that it's, it's got to end in destruction. And I think that that instinct's actually right in a lot of yeah. other circumstances. But in this particular case with fossil fuels, um, you know, I think there's plenty in order for us to transition into nuclear and then transition into the next thing after, you know, the supplies of uranium go down, you know, over the course of the next few hundred years. And, you know, I, I do think that there's some deep underlying is what it comes to everything it's like our our minds were shaped by these hundreds of thousands of years of selection pressure to be able to contend with a certain environment and our environment's so different from that environment now that i think this is just one of those things and you know i always think back to john carter's systems versus conspiracy article and then you know something that eugipius wrote that was similar when I consider this stuff, because we have all these different people that have this, like that's that's the underlying issues. There's a big delta between um, what what we're what we were designed for, like the environment that we were designed for, and the environment that we find ourselves in, and that manifests itself in different ways depending on different people. And so you have grifters, you have true believers, and everything in between but everybody's really just trying to exercise their own self-interest and uh that just gets obfuscated and and uh hidden by all the narratives that go on top and the self-delusion and the hypocrisy um so i i think like all the topics that we talk about probably have to do with that at some some ultimate level it's just this one, I think, is so interesting because it's 
it provides such a massive justification for uh, legitimized coercion. And then all of the stories that they tell us about why it's necessary and like it's just not consistent. So we covered the nuclear thing. Like nuclear is the obvious solution. It allows us all to agree on something. And yet that's not allowed to be discussed or it's just, you know, suppressed by the algorithm or whatever. I don't know exactly uh, what happens, but it's not treated as a solution to this problem, even though based on the arguments, it seems like it should be a solution that everyone would be satisfied with. Well, you even have Germany, you know, shutting down its last three reactors. And, um, you know, it also occurs to me that uh, a couple of years ago, this show Dark came out, which was kind of the German version of Stranger Things. Um, And in that show, a nuclear a nuclear plant is sort of the the centerpiece for all of the spooky creepy stuff that's happening in this in this town uh which kind of looks a little bit like anti-nuclear propaganda even so you know they're they're sort of pushing this like nuclear is bad and scary uh message even even now you know um yeah i mean the dark was was great you know it's it's you guys know um, I'm a German, so uh, it was funny that I, I recognized all, you know, it might, might have been a bit for you guys, like with Stranger Things, you know, I, it was literally like this jacket, I, I wore that jacket, you know, when I was a kid, you know, it was just, they just nailed the time, so that was that was really great, but <laughs> I, I was just, uh, uh, wanted to say something about what Grant, you said before, because I thought it's it was very insightful, uh, that actually my sense is as well that, um that there there is a justification for this sense of doom, basically, right? Or this this feeling that something's wrong. You know, um, Harrison, you said that too, and I think that's actually, you know, there there is a certain bridge between the camps. Uh, I think because usually it's like you know climate deniers, you know, versus like uh, I don't know climate fascists, you know, and it's like this huge um, battle. Um, but I think there's actually some common ground. Um, between the camps and and I think some of those people who who you know believe in the in the climate change thing, well, they actually they they have a genuine feeling you know that that something is off and that um, you know that there's some some disconnect you know with uh, as you said Grant the the this huge amount of cheap energy that we have uh, on the one hand and and the stuff we do with it you know it's like I mean there is <laughs> you know it's, it's just. I mean, it's not hard to see that that there's so much much wrong with our culture and our society, you know, and how we how we treat nature, you know, what what um, then this whole like um, global technocratic thing that is also like um, traditionally like not see, well received on the left, right? And and the original because much of the stuff originated in Germany, so um, I kind of lived through the early stages <laughs> of all that. Um, all that nature stuff and and it kind of began you know as more like localized like nature protection initiatives and it and it slowly got taken over basically by by those technocrats you know so suddenly it wasn't like okay there's a guy who goes to the woods you know with his camera and likes watching birds and he's upset you know because some company comes and you know burns the forest or whatever you know that's that's how it began but now it's like this globalized, you know, massive, um, huge 
in this in climate industrial complex you know thing uh where there's like so much money to be made and it's all these policies and it's about power and like high level interventions and um all of that you know scaling up and uh i think it's it's kind of it's kind of strange but i i think there is there are people even on the left even those who like lean towards like accepting the the climate change thing that are actually also critical of that you know and uh of this like global globalist approach say and i i can see that you know when i follow some from some of the people who are more on the left but we're pretty smart and uh so i think there's there might be a way to you know from both sides basically to to approach this in a in a more mature way and and lastly um you know about the the renewables let me just say because that too was you know i mean i don't know what is it is about the germans that they always like come up with shit and <laughs> the whole world like um uh, kind of gets started with auto the third <laughs> yeah 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 and <laughs> But the renewable stuff, you know, I lived next to like a wind turbine, like it was like, I think one and a half kilometers away from where we used to live. And um, I can tell you, this is just a total nightmare. I mean, these things, um, I, it, it's people who, who have never seen it, they just cannot believe, you know, that how loud they are. They, they just have, they disrupt your sleep, you know, they blink, they they throw shadows, you know, that it's like a, a, a stroboscopic effect, you know, it drives you mad and uh, all of these things, and there's the issue with infrasound um, that now is it is denied. But you know, just a couple of years ago in Germany, even mainstream media, you know, and doctors uh, try to raise awareness. You know that actually people are you know getting cancer and getting sick. You know, where, wherever these these wind turbines are, because there's some infrasound uh, thing going on, and it's just heartbreaking. You know what this does to the the inhabitants. I mean, for us it wasn't that bad because it was only three, but and they were like at least one and a half kilometers away. But you know, if you have five that are like a kilometer away, and I mean, it's just horrible. And and these things also don't work. You know, I mean, it's just. I think the latest numbers I got somewhere from Germany was like that uh, they produced like thirteen percent of their rated capacity of of energy. So basically nothing, right? But then they get all the subsidies and. Uh, it's just, and then they, it's even, it's funny, you know, like they, Germany, they call it, um, they, they, cause you have this energy, like, um, uh, thing where they, um, trade energy, right. Um, and so the prices go up and down and stuff, and they actually have to pay, like they call it negative price. So they trade it at a negative price if they produce too much energy because suddenly the wind blows, you know, and then they pay basically Poland, you know, to, to, <laughs> To, to get the energy because otherwise it would like uh, fry the grid. So they actually have to pay to get rid of their, their energy because they, the fluctuations are just so massive. Uh, and it just does not make any sense, like how, however you look at it, you know, and the same for solar. So just to finish uh, this off, um, renewables is um, when you look into it and it's a total scam, you know, it, it's, it's just, you cannot put it any other way. I mean, there's just people getting rich of it uh via subsidies and uh, and their buddies in the in the in the pol in politics and stuff and uh yeah so that's really a huge aspect of this renewable thing um the the scammy nature of it uh people getting rich um and uh but it's crazy because it just doesn't work at all 
So just to just to build on one of the things you said there, uh, from a technical standpoint, Elgato Mallow uh, had a really good post several months ago talking about um, the problem with intermittency in so-called renewable uh, energy sources. Mm. And with wind power in particular, he showed the, res- the power response curve, like the, ge- the power generation response curve for wind speed. So below a certain speed, you get it just drops off, but you get no power at all because you need enough to actually make the turbine turn. And then it has, I think, like a cubic response. So it goes up quite rapidly as the wind speed increases. But then you hit a point where uh, if it turns any faster, uh, it will break. So yeah. it just needs to shut down, right? Um so it's it's a as a, as a way of generating electricity, it is extremely variable, and um, the same, of course, is true with solar due to the day night cycle and cloud cover and things like that. Uh, and because like that doesn't actually match the way that people use electricity, then you need to balance out the grid because just how the technology works. There needs to be exactly the same amount of electricity being used as is being generated at any given time, or you start breaking everything. So okay. you need to be able to spin up the like, the power generation um, from other sources in order to compensate uh, for the intermittency in the renewables. But there's only one way to do that. Turns out nuclear can't do that because you can't just like turn no. off a nuclear power station or turn it on in like a day, right? Uh, or or in like a second, like it takes like a couple of days. Um, so basically natural gas, coal, and like hydrocarbons essentially are the only way of doing it. So exactly, if yeah. you fill up your grid with um, solar and wind, you actually push out nuclear and the only thing you can use are fossil fuels to balance things out, which is hilariously counterproductive yeah i mean that's you know what, i i, the I Germans, found this a, like, sorry i found it really in, i found it, this article really great because it, it just put it in such concise clearly stated terms and i remember a couple of days after that i got into an argument with my uh with one of my sisters who is you know a, a progressive normie shall we say um and very firmly believes in all the climate hysteria uh, and was going on about how uh, electricity prices were going up because of the greedy fossil fuel companies or something like that, and how we needed more solar and wind. And uh, and I was like, okay, okay, be quiet for five minutes, and I'm going to explain to you like at a technical level how this works. And I just kind of related Elgato Malo's post, and she, you know, normally she argues with me quite a bit. <laughs> In this case, she kind of just blinked and went, oh, huh. Like she just never heard it put like that before. And, you know, um, so those kinds of arguments, I think, can be very effective. You know, one of the problems uh, just at a, at a practical level is that almost no one understands how the electrical grid works. Yeah. Can Including I jump, those jump who just operate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just to jump in for a second, I this is a question for the group. We've all been relating some pretty serious arguments here. And like, that's an amazing story that John just told because I've tried to deploy it myself in the past without success. And I'm not saying that it can't find purchase, that logic cannot find purchase with people, that math can't find 
purchase. It can, but not with everyone. And like, that's like, in other words, like imagine that you're someone who's sort of like falling at the feet of someone like Greta Thunberg, for, for instance, just to take a, one of these saints, um, these modern, these Latter-day Saints. It's sort of like, how do you convince that person? Like, do you think any of our arguments would, would take root in the, in the, what I would call the core of the, the problem, the hardcore, the hardcore, Kiliastic, Molinarian uh, cult members? Like, how do you, and this is just a wider question too, it's just like, how do you deprogram a, a cult member? And specifically this one, do you think I, any of these arguments would? Logic, would hold, not using logic. Is, not using logic, not, not, not using, no, there's, it's not, not like that. Um, it's an excellent Is question. there a way to reach someone uh, apart from what, I, I read the Bad Cats um, uh, proposal um, piece as well, and it's perfectly rational, reasonable, logical, and yet, <laughs> will it work? I don't, I don't know. This is the question. So I, I think that it's kind of the same with any, any of these beliefs that are associated with class interest. So anything that you have to believe as a member of the professional managerial class, like if you're in that class or you want to be in that class, it's in your self-interest to believe those things. And motivation being the master of reason, um, you know, they're not going to change their minds unless uh, it, it's no longer in their interest to believe those things. And so I think ultimately the solutions are long-term and they're political. So I, I think that Actually, in America, at least, we have a majority of people that don't buy into this, and they're just able to be gaslit through the you know vast censorship apparatus um, that that we're subjected to, where you know billions of dollars get spent in order to uh, portray certain norms that aren't actually normative. And you know we're a normative species, and so that's very influential in controlling people's behavior, but it doesn't necessarily control people's beliefs. So I, I think that the majority of people think that this stuff is uh, unreasonable because it's so unreasonable on its face. And the only people that will argue um, fervently in favor of it are uh, it's it's in their class interest. So you're not going to convince them with an argument like you essentially have to change, um, change what's in their class interest uh, with like a circulation of the elites or something. I, I definitely agree. Um... But the sort of bizarre thing is that the beliefs that the PMC has uh, has made sort of mandatory within itself actually are not in their class interests uh, in the sense that they are quite obviously going well, and we can see this happening in real time, right? Like the institutions are all decaying. Um, they're they're hemorrhaging the, the cultural prestige built up over centuries and just in an incredible amount of time. They're no longer able to perform any of their functions. And oh yeah, it, not in the long even, run. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, yeah. even in, I think in the very like the medium run. I mean, like we're already at a place where you know, for instance, um, a majority of the population thinks a college degree is not worth it you know just a huge change from just a few years ago people don't trust doctors anymore media the list goes on and on um and yet they continue uh so like you know they're, they're sort of they, they've they've locked themselves into this uh belief set that is absolutely mandatory to participate in those institutions but is rapidly destroying those same institutions which 
you know, I don't think it's necessarily as simple as like um, uh, luxury beliefs disconnected from reality, which are used uh, as social signaling mechanisms. Um, although I think that does play a role. I, I think it is because they're miserable. Ultimately, they don't have fulfilling lives. Yeah. And well, I mean, I see it as I see that as reality exerting itself. And, yes. it, you know, it's going to eventually. It's just how long is it going to take? I think I think it's inevitable that you can't you can't pretend that perception is more important than reality or pretend <laughs> that reality doesn't exist indefinitely. I think there's right, ultimately so a price to be paid and I think they're going to pay the price. I just I hope that they don't tear down all of human civilization in the process, which I think so, that's why discussions like this are important. It yeah, absolutely. Um so so Mark was sort of asking like you know how do we deprogram the cult members, right? Uh and um so if you think okay, so how do you deprogram cult members? Uh, you you don't sit down and argue with them about you know why Zorax is not coming from Proxima Centauri to blow up volcanoes over your head or something. Uh, you connect with them. You bring them back into the society of normal people by doing normal stuff with them, and then you gradually, as you build those emotional connections between uh, between yourself and between them and other people who are not in the cult, um, they're they normalize and like maybe they never fully leave behind the beliefs, but they stop acting so insane. Uh, I think it's gotta be something like that on sort of a mass scale. And this is why I'm sort of emphasizing the fact that the, the people in the PMC, like they're kind of trapped, you know, like they have this um, very easy lifestyle, but it's not spiritually or personally fulfilling to them. Um, and they're they're insul they're also insulated from people that can provide yes. them with that cognitive parallax. Yes. So I I agree a hundred percent. I think one on one like that's that that is the answer. Building connection because one of the things that locks them into those beliefs is a ridiculous caric caricature of what the opposition thinks. So like we are all climate deniers, right? By their definition, and so the that there's an assumption that goes with that that if they know you and then find that position out, you know, they all assume that, you know, we're all strictly speaking, you know, young earth creationists, you know, for example. Paid off by the fossil that, fuel corporations, want to yeah, cut that, down all the forests and so that we don't, on. That yep. we don't, yeah, that we don't give a shit about the environment, but that, that transitions into something that I, as we kind of are coming up on an hour, I really wanted to touch on is that I think we care about the environment more than any of these people. Yep. And I think that That's amazing. this focus on a uh, tasteless, odorless, clear gas as the enemy allows these, uh, you know, large multinational corporations to pollute in a way that is very meaningfully destructive. Yes. I've been um, saying this for 20 years. If you look at where environmentalism was like 30 years ago, you know, it was focused on things like deforestation, topsoil depletion, uh, you know, like pollution with to actual toxic chemicals, like all of these issues, right? And then when uh, anthropogenic climate change, global warming, the scary, tasteless, odorless glass, gas became the only villain, right? Suddenly everyone's focused like a laser on that. And all of these giant corporations are able to say, oh, no, don't worry, we're green. We bought carbon credits. 
Yeah. Well, look at I, like look at East Palestine. Like it's sort of like yeah. you want to talk about an invisible enemy enemy versus they made a black mushroom cloud of toxic chemicals, and the EPA basically just told all those people to grow a fucking pear. Yep. It's ludicrous beyond belief. They Don't do worry, water safe the environment or people. Or I'm sorry, say it again. Yeah, don't worry. The water's cool. safe. You can go back home now. And no, the water's it. safe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Come, come down to the river, everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry about the microplastics in your food. Don't worry about the birth control and the water supply. Don't worry about the uh, toxic well, chemicals. It. You that... nailed it. You nailed it. We care. It's the most bizarre thing in the world is that we're probably the environmentalists in this situation. Yeah, which is why yeah. we push for nuclear and other solutions it's it's it feels strange but again second millennium people shit was going to get weird you know but to but to john's point i think that is the kind of thing that if you have a conversation about that it becomes very clear like the things that you guys both just rattled off like microplaxis toxic soil depletion i know like uh hunter talks about um uh, uh bees and pollinators um there's yeah. all these things that you know, as people that care about the environment, we're aware of. And if you're having a conversation with somebody that you have some sort of rapport with that has this character view that people that are skeptical that carbon dioxide is going is the number one threat to all human civilization. Um, it becomes, I think, surprising. I, I think you get past the um, combativeness by it being just so surprising because it's so clear that we we do care and have concern otherwise we wouldn't have all that information and uh, a lot of times it's the first time they've heard of those things they're like wow that's those things are horrifying and it's like well yeah you can attention's a finite resource you know and if you're gonna focus on one thing in terms of environmentalism uh you're not going to be able to focus on other things you know, you only have so much attention to give. And so I, I think there's this pervasive idea that, well. And to go back to your reality debt thing, if the thing you're focused on is moreover fake, <laughs> like you're going to miss all of the real threats that are coming for you. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, to, to your point, Mark, uh, I, about uh, or to your question, you know, how to discuss uh, these things. I think one thing to keep in mind as well, um, besides the, the very good uh, things you you all mentioned there, um, I think is that uh, as with all these big issues that are so like emotional and you know so pervasive, um, it's it's very useful to keep in mind that often it's not the issue you know that people like or rebel against or the logic or something, but it's uh, just the idea that you know they they have been like like you know like half of what they know is a lie basically and everybody they thought is an authority has lied to them i mean it's like with the covid thing right it's just hard to to swallow for people because the climate change thing now it's it's pushed for decades you know by all global institutions by by the media you know there's like it's a billion dollar industry you know all these companies and uh, all these uh, professors and it's just too much you know if you if you just say to people all right I mean listen this is all a lie you know so I think um, you know besides uh, engaging and and uh, bringing people back into the society of normal people uh, so to say um, I found it useful in to argue like 
about like certain specific points um you know like uh, rather than like about the the whole thing you know basically implying that um everybody for 30 years now has lied you know and so that if you you can talk about you know wind turbines and uh, and how horrible it is it is to witness um how the woods are like you know destroyed to build these things you know because you need to build roads and i mean i saw all that right and you build roads like <laughs> through the middle of the forest, you know, because otherwise you can't build these things and you just destroy the forest, you know, to, uh, to save the environment, you destroy nature, you know, so to say, and you can talk about these kinds of aspects. I found that works better. Um, you know, if you take like certain aspects that are like heartfelt, you know, maybe where you even have some experience or have witnessed some things, um, and that way you can connect with people, right? If you just say, oh, by the way, did you know, like the whole CO2 thing is it's a big lie, you know? I mean, um, that's just, even if you bring good arguments, you know, it, it won't convince uh, those who, you know, who are entrenched in it. Yeah. Fortunately, I, I, I think it's easier, uh, easier than trying to convince people a lot of times, because a lot of times just talking about it, um, it resonates with, what people already kind of think they just feel like they're alone. And so I think that's another part of it that's missed. You don't necessarily know where somebody's coming from. You know, you might assume that uh that the people you know believe these things but they maybe in their heart this entire time it's like this doesn't resonate with my experience. You know, when they're telling me that every year they're saying it's the hottest day ever and it's like it, you know, hot days still are hot. And then sometimes there's days that are record cold. And when they say, oh, this record cold day, that's because of climate change. It's like, <laughs> I think a lot of people see that and they don't necessarily like shout out in anger, but they 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 see it. And um, I, I think they appreciate discussion uh, about it. And, you know, you don't even necessarily need to go as hard to be like, it's a lie. You just be like, yes, you know. It's just not it's like hey if you know all, all their predictions time, every time through. it's a little warm suddenly you see you see headlines about climate change isn't that kind of funny <laughs> and like yeah. I've, I've done that i've definitely or that, done that yeah people. or yeah. that natural disasters are like a new thing you know right or yeah you know yeah we so. never had natural disasters about hurricanes oh my god yeah well yeah we've had those before as yeah, someone no. literally asked me but you are not one of those climate deniers now yeah. are you <laughs> <laughs> Which is the, which is a hilarious term when you think of it, a climate denier. It's like it implies that you're denying the existence of climate. <laughs> you know, it's uh yeah, these people are not known for use careful use of language. Charles. Exactly. Yeah, you see this a lot. Um yeah, I don't know. To go back to the sustainability thing, like I sort of see what we should be trying to do is not have a sustainable quote unquote civilization where it's where we, we constantly tiptoe on eggshells to avoid impinging on the natural world in any way whatsoever, because, you know, we are part of the natural world, actually. Um, what we should be doing is focusing on, on harmonizing with nature and that in the widest sense. So also harmonizing with human nature. So like, I think core problem in our society is that we're constantly trying to dominate or change or ignore human nature itself. And the result is that we've created these social structures, which feel 
oppressive and alien to essentially everyone, some people more consciously and some less, but you know, everyone kind of feels it. And like I said, I think that's part of what fuels this millennial belief in climate change is this this desire to escape from that somehow. But if you have a society that harmonizes with nature, that has beautiful architecture that is part of the landscape and not imposed upon it, for instance, has agriculture that works with ecology rather than, you know, uh, just plopping down a field of corn and spraying it with pesticides, um, that has institutions that work with the natural variability between men and women and, and human personalities and all of the people would be so much happier in every single way. And sort of these happier, more content, more fulfilled people would be, I think, a lot less prone to the predations of cult leaders. They'd be harder to control. Oh, yeah. No, for the WEF types, it would be a nightmare because it would be naturally quite decentralized and you wouldn't have those those levers by which you could uh, um, sort of make people do what you want because you know they'd be growing their own food and producing their own electricity and everything like that uh but yeah well we're yeah, coming up on an hour like, so I, I no no go ahead mark i was gonna say like you go ahead and then i was just gonna say after after you go if anybody has closing thoughts um or anything else they want to add then we can wrap it up and just keep it uh keep it short yeah sure no, I'll just go with my closing thoughts then. Like, I, I, just to return real briefly to what you said in the beginning, Grant, which which resonated with me, and I never spoke about it so far, was that this idea that literally anything is available for sacrifice to this anthropogenic uh, climate change cult. And I actually witnessed that up close um, with a, a niece of mine uh, who was at the time, I believe was a freshman in high school and she was sent, she might've been in eighth grade, but she was sent home with a homework assignment, which I helped her do. And this was at the time that, uh, you know, homework assignments were generally, even before COVID were like being, uh, uh, were being put online uh, and they were in the form of all kinds of weird uh, formulations of, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, polls and things that were obviously instruments of like, you know, financial instruments to make money somewhere else. And so one of the poll questions um, that she was then asked to uh, write a brief statement about was uh, 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 address the following statement uh, and say whether you agree or disagree with it. And the statement was along the lines of, um, I, I don't remember the quite exact verbiage, but it was along the lines of, Anything is um, the the uh, the the protection of the environment is worth any cost. It was something simple like that, where it was just sort of like. And I turned to her and I looked at her and I said, "I said to her, what if the cost was my life?'" And she looked at me in a different way for the first time because, like, she realized a thing. She realized that, like, yeah, they're saying any cost. And like, they're not, they're not talking about costs at all. And I think that maybe that's one way to approach this and say like, when people are proposing things like that to you, these, 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 these black and white proposals, you really need to look through it and say, what are they really saying when they say at all costs, 
you must do what I say. And that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Everything's everything's got trade-offs. Yeah, go ahead, Harrison. Well, I'll I'll give a, a late welcome to Daniel. Uh, <laughs> hey, Daniel, we were just, yeah, we were just wrapping Sorry. up. <laughs> yeah, closing got my thoughts. usual tech <laughs> issues, so. All right. Well, I just had one closing thought to, to sum up kind of a, a thread that's kind of come in a few times is this, this idea of going against nature and against human nature in general. So when you, when you don't have a, an objective like understanding of what human nature is and, and you implement any kind of either policy or just goal or plan that goes against human nature, it's going to lead to a kind of um, repressive authoritarian like controlling aspect because if you if you're if you're trying to do something that goes completely against someone's nature the only way that you can even attempt to get them to do it is to beat them into submission until they do it and when you're going against nature this is what i kind of sometimes call like the mao principle it's like the the kind of um um what was what was mao's thing the the great uh, i've got a mind blank the great, great leap forward, great leap forward. Yeah, great leap forward. Right. So you've got these policies that are inherently impossible. And so what's the only way to to make an, an impossible policy go forward or to, to achieve an impossible goal? Well, you just have to keep trying and you have to push people harder and harder. And that ties in with human nature as well. Then you have to basically um, force them and torture them and and create this insane system of incentives and disincentives where it's pretty much the disincentive is well you're going to die or we're or we're going to kill you and so so that is essentially in a nutshell where this kind of where the the whole climate change is that's the direction it's going in is because it's it it's it's denying both human nature and just nature itself and so when you when you have that that's that's why it's pretty much it's it's interesting and it's it's fitting that they call it the great reset it's like the the great leap forward uh, and the great terror you just put them together and you'll get the great reset because it's uh it's completely against all the things we understand uh, about nature like all inclusively and things like that just won't work and they and when you also when you go against nature when you when you go against nature you break things or you get broken in the process so it's just uh, that, that's my uh, that's my optimistic take on on the whole topic. Closing thoughts. I would say real quick you, to add. You know, you said that you got to force people. You know, threat you're going to die or you you know or not be able to feed yourself. But also, I mean, there's like the whole psychological thing of I guess brainwashing kids from an early age to hate themselves and their own nature. That's another way you go against nature is teach people. Their nature is something to be abhorred and overcome or whatever and then sell them some false substitute and they're alienated from who they really are so they go along with it and then they amputate and mutilate themselves they're against their own nature and you know that's the that's the end of that genetic line yep yeah i just gotta say uh as a closing remark Again, that uh, um, uh, what we said before, you know, that um, we are not like those who, who have issues with the whole climate thing. They are not like, you know, animal torturing, you know, SUV needlessly driving, um, like poison 
uh, in the toilet throwing just for fun, you know, kind of people. And uh, I have a, a more of a leftist um, background as well, you know, from where I come from, from the milieu uh, I come from. And uh, I know that, you know, there are, there are many out there who, who feel similar, you know, like who, who, who really care about nature, like sincerely and, uh, and all of that. And I think just by connecting, by talking uh, and by doing things like we do, and you're just uh, talking um, and showing that we're like sensible people. I think that's, um, that's a good thing. And um, I hope that, uh, that more people, you know, who come more from this traditional environmentalism that was actually good you know um that they kind of um join the ranks you know those who just criticize this absolute nightmarish uh technocratic authoritarian uh power graph you know with 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 all of these um uh, climate change policies and that it's exactly as you said um harrison it's just against human nature and against nature itself and Nobody who cares for for you know wildlife, um, species, um, health, and that sort of thing should 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 get behind that. Uh, speak for yourself get... about not wanting to uh, destroy wildlife. That's my whole goal is like to go out on the highway and just run caribou over <laughs> no i mean of course nobody does that you know it's just i guess it's a straw man that's set up a lot of times like that uh for most people you care so much you know you don't care about the environment that's the only possible reason why you could possibly you know go against the green new deal or whatever the agenda is you know which is just a smoke screen for more control you know more authoritarianism at the end of the day more people dying. I guess uh, so the meme says we're the carbon that they want to reduce. Yeah. It also, sa it also says that it also says, I think uh, I keep trying to follow the science, but I keep, uh, keep following the money instead <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect right there. It's supposed to be all about controlling, uh, controlling bias, but that's, that's been lost. Um, I, I think that everything comes down to uh, nature and understanding our nature so that we can work with it. Not just this topic. I think that's kind of, that's kind of everything. The denial that there's a nature or that we have enough power as human beings that we're above nature and apart from it and that we can use this power to uh, make it bend to our will. And uh, you know, perhaps there's some rules that we can bend, but there's some that will not be broken. And if we try, uh, reality will force us to accept our failure in spectacular terms. Maybe not us, you know, like, like John Maynard Keynes said, in the long run, we're all dead. But, you know, if not us, then our progeny. And that idea that we're a part of nature, I think, ties into all this, where it's, you know, the people that are so 
supportive of this idea. And like we've talked about it in terms of uh, death drive and the idea that there's too many people and that civilization is not sustainable. I think a lot of people that come from this, that have this unconstrained view of uh, human civilization and society and nature kind of see us as a plague upon the planet that, you know, nature would be better off without humanity. And it's such a perversion of the truth because we're a part of nature. And so it's not that nature and the world is here for us to enjoy. Um, it's that we're, we are a part of it. And if we're to enjoy it, we have to respect those rules and understand how we fit within it and understand ourselves. And, um, you know, a, a part a part of doing that optimally is going to be using fossil fuels. You know, it can be done in a manner that uh, makes the world, frankly, a better place for the vast majority of human beings, but also the planet. And that gets glossed over, like in, in people that have personal experience, like uh, like Lucian, you know, with the wind turbines. I think, you know, many people, every rock you look under anybody who has experience with renewables and the uh the dark side of how those rare earths get mined to just from from every step along the way the energy might come from a place that's more or less renewable like the wind or the sun but you aren't able to extract and use that energy without expending other finite resources and there are tremendous costs human costs and natural costs in in that that get swept under the rug and name in the name of self-interest from people that are delusional that don't understand their nature don't understand that ultimately we're all self-interested and that given the opportunity um we will lie to ourselves and others in order to advance that interest and i think that's what uh what the climate focus on uh co2 is ultimately about I, the evidence just, I don't think, supports any other thing. Um, and I'll leave my thoughts at that and let John close us out. Humanity is not a plague on this planet. The Earth spent four and a half billion years carefully evolving us. Um, and it did it, uh, you know, I think for a very good reason. It needed hands, it needed minds. So it could transform itself even faster than it had always has always been transforming itself. That's what humans do. And that's what life does. And that's what the earth has always been doing. It's just it's constantly transforming. Um, to see ourselves as something separate and apart from nature, something fundamentally different, is such an incredible category error. And I think uh, you know, Charles Eisenstein has written extensively on this, um, this, this myth of separation. And, you know, it connects to the climate change thing as well, I think, because uh, central to the model is treating the Earth as this sort of closed off separate system where the only things that can affect the Earth are the things that happen on the Earth, leaving out entirely, for instance, the fact that the Earth is not closed and separate. It is an integral part of a larger cosmos, which gets bombarded by cosmic rays and solar energetic particles and you know, meteors and comets and and all of these things that all have an, a, a huge effect on the climate of the earth in which humans have no influence over whatsoever. 
Um, yeah, you know, we're here, humans are here for a reason. And to imagine that we need to be sequestered off or removed uh, in order to protect the earth, I think is is not to see it in the right way. We're here to make the earth more what it is trying to, has always been trying to be. Thanks, John. Thanks, Tonic team. Um, had six out of seven of us here. Thank you for the great conversation. Um, and we'll be trying to keep on doing it once a week for whoever's available, trying to take a, another interesting topic to talk about. Um, it's an honor and a pleasure, gentlemen. Uh, we'll go ahead and stop the corner and we say, can say our proper goodbyes. It's been fun. <laughs>